This podcast contains profanity, descriptions of a sexual nature, violence, and drug misuse. Listener discretion advised. When we last saw Bobby Jackson, she had just rushed her ring box to a wedding, only for it to contain a human eyeball. Scotty had gained his bloody vengeance, but was his victim really to blame for his pain? The start of these dark predicaments happened four days ago, and they started with the king of the strip, Nikki James. This is Dance of the Lawless, Episode 2. Chapter 5. Victims. Four days earlier. Wednesday, 17th June. NJ's nightclub. The Strip. Eastside PC. 11.05 p.m. Nikki James. Adorned in expensive Italian shoes, smart dress pants, and a designer shirt, perched on the edge of his office chair. He looked every inch the suave nightclub owner, but wore an expression of pure dread. He poured himself a small glass of vodka from his crystal skull decanter and slumped to the back of the leather chair. He rubbed his brow nervously in between big gulps. There was a knock at the office door. Enter. Nikki commanded. Young with floppy blonde hair, Jason King... NJ's manager walked in. He was wearing a white shirt with a big collar, just like Nikki. You okay, Nikki? He asked. Yeah, I'm I'm fine. Nikki said solemnly. Listen, Nikki, don't worry about it. You deserved it. No one'll dare talk. It'll be okay. Yeah, I know. Nikki said, pursing his lips and rubbing his face. The girl that got caught up in it. Have you uh have you seen her before? No. Jason answered. Did you see any men with her? Nikki asked him. No, but it all happened so quickly. Nikki grabbed Jason's walkie-talkie from him. Security, shut the entrance. Don't let anyone else in under any circumstances. Okay, if, if that's what you want. And can you get someone down to the bathrooms? Apparently there's blood under one of the doors. Just then, barman Peter Winston rushed into the office. Nikki knew straight away by the fact he didn't knock. It was urgent. Peter bypassed his direct superior and spoke directly to Nikki. You need to come outside right now, he said, serious as a heart attack. Without another word being said, they all marched down the grand staircase. Nikki led them, striding with purpose and authority, his eyes dancing with fear. He tried to look straight ahead and in control. As they got downstairs, he couldn't help glancing around the club. 
they were with her, they could still be here. As Nikki crossed the main floor, an acquaintance shouted to him, Hey, I thought this place was upmarket now. That was some crazy shit. Nikki turns his head towards the man. Well, they let you in, didn't they? He said with a forced laugh. As soon as he snapped his head back forward, his smile instantly vanished from his face. Nikki, Shawla's in the cigar room. He wants to finish talking to you. Came a request as he passed another acquaintance. Tell him to wait. Nikki said sternly, dismissing the man with his hand. He refused to make eye contact with anyone else until they had reached the exit. Peter led them around the side of the building, where thunderous rain poured. Head of security Terence Entman was waiting, pacing back and forth on the spot. He showed them a man slumped up against a wall, shaking violently. He was making a loud sound that wasn't crying nor moaning, rather a deep insular wail. His palms were pressed to his cheeks, the rain diluting the blood that seeped through his fingers and collected on his lap. Terence grabbed the man's hands and tried to pry them away from his face. His efforts were met with a desperate resistance. Nikki looked at Jason and Peter, who both wore the same look of disturbed intrigue. Finally, Terence's supreme strength wrestled the man's hands away. Nikki, Jason, and Peter all staggered back in shock, as if they had been hit by an invisible blast of air. No one could get any words out except the man whose face was now open to the world. All I did was look at her, he repeated over and over, his voice hoarse and erratic. The man's face looked caved in. Both of his eyes had swollen shut, and his nose spluttered blood that ran into his shredded mouth. His jaw looked completely lopsided, and two of his teeth were caught in the collar of his jacket. Nikki's heart weighed heavy with compassion. This man's looks will never be the same. Beads of sweat trickled down Nikki's brow. His mind raced and his brain flooded with fear. He was certain this meant dire consequences for him. He scrunched his eyes with all the force he could. The whole night flashed before him like a slideshow, each image framed in regret. If any part of that night had happened differently, it might not have led to where it did. Most of all, he wished Bobby hadn't run off. Then tonight could have ended with her in his arms. She thinks I've rejected her. Now she's gone and my fate still awaits me. Nikki looked down. The blood spots that littered the ground like confetti were being washed away by the rain. He looked up at Terence and said in a low, slow voice, It's her. The mute is here. Terence screwed up his face. Who? He asked. Nikki ignored the question and threw Terence a wad of notes from his wallet. Take care of him, will you? Nikki went to his gray Mercedes. He didn't feel safe at the club. Her companions could be inside or somewhere nearby. Nikki found himself driving around for an hour before going home. He wasn't sure why. Driving at night always took him to a peaceful place. He remembered being driven home from the cinema as a kid, full of contentment, watching the night sky out of the passenger window with a head full of dreams. The lights of the strip became streaks of color flying over him as he sped along the dark streets, his windscreen awash with rainwater, distorting their glow. When he finally arrived home, his cleaning lady was still there. Nikki liked her to work when he was at the club, but even so, 
She was there very late. He was still shaken from the night's events and didn't want her there any longer. Please, Rosita, go home now. You work too hard. Yes, Nikki, I was just about to. Oh, Nikki, you had a visitor, a man come to see you. When was this? Nikki asked her. Oh, not Lonago. Al four or so. Rosalita said. What did he, uh, what did he look like? Nikki asked. Nikki, he not look a pretty man. Tall, very muscular, bald head, and a tattoo on his face, wearing a leather jacket. It will, uh, it'll be nothing. Probably a bouncer looking for work. Nikki said, trying to sound reassuring. He was sure his eyes betrayed him. The obvious fearful questions rang around in his head. Is this late-night visitor who I think it is? Has he come to exact revenge? Chapter 6. Paranoid. The next day. Thursday, 18th June. NJ's. The Strip. East Side, PC. 11 p.m. Nicky settled into his personal creation, the Gold Room, his purpose-built cigar room. It was where he always ended his nights. He had survived a quiet day at home by himself, watching TV and doing small jobs around the penthouse. He hadn't eaten much, preferring to constantly sip on orange and vodka. There had been no return of the visitor, and while still unnerved, he felt calmer. He had decided it was unlikely there was a problem, and if there was, it would soon be forgotten about. He had opted to keep his normal routine and go to the club once it turned dark. He enjoyed mingling with the rich and dangerous downstairs, then walking around the club surveying his kingdom. These days when he walked around NJ's, he felt an invisible zone around him. It was sustained by both fear and respect, and very few would dare to breach it. It was a status he could never have imagined a year ago. He liked to walk around and soak it up, feeling every pair of eyes on him. Nicky was sitting at a table by himself, sucking on a big fat Cuban cigar. He inhaled slowly, then watched the smoke billow out of his mouth. It seemed the other people in the gold room could tell he wasn't in the mood to be sociable, and refrained from sitting with him. As it got deeper into the evening, in spite of himself, Nicky couldn't stop black thoughts from slipping back into his mind. Fear had returned with the darkness, as strong as ever. He couldn't shake an unsettling feeling in his stomach, a sense of impending doom around the corner that wouldn't leave him. Nicky was snapped out of his brooding by a well-dressed young man with floppy brown hair. He had failed to pick up Nicky's solemn state of mind and enthusiastically explained that he had waited a long time to talk to him. He told Nicky he was set to inherit his father's clothing empire and was angling to try to get into the nightlife business. Nicky was barely replying as the kids started to recall tales of his hedonistic adventures around the globe. Rather than listening, Nicky concentrated on taking big, long drags of his cigar. 
pausing in thought after every big lung full of smoke. Once he smoked it down to a stump, he abruptly ended his encounter and left the young man sitting there by himself. He briskly walked back through the VIP section, down the stairs, and out of the club. He headed for Marco's restaurant, a nice, friendly high-end place that Nikki hoped would soothe his hunger and his soul. Nikki was a frequent visitor there, and as had become his style, always left overly generous tips. It had led him to dining upstairs in the private dining area. Nikki pulled his Mercedes up to the restaurant and handed the young valet $30. Be careful with it, kid. Nikki called back as he walked inside. A waitress immediately greeted him. Table for one, sir. Nikki smiled at her. She obviously doesn't know who I am. Get me Fernando. He instructed. Before she had a chance to move, the maitre d' Fernando duly appeared. He led Nikki upstairs to a small intimate room containing only four tables, complete with open fire and pictures of sunflowers on the walls. By the time Nikki had finished his leek soup appetizer, he quickly became the only one left dining. He cut a lonely figure as he worked his way through veal steaks and creamy mashed potatoes. He finished it quickly and waited for 10 minutes, deep in ponderous thought, for the waitress to come back. He asked her for three big scoops of ice cream with chocolate sauce. A few moments later, the restaurant owner Gus brought out two big chocolate sundaes. Nikki, I made this for you myself. <laughs> Gus reminded Nikki of one of his uncles with his chubby composition, gelled black hair and button nose. Nikki, where is your lady companion tonight? You can't have run out of them. Nikki smiled but didn't reply. Anyway, Nikki, my boy. I will sit and eat dessert with you, and we can sit and chat together, okay? Very good. Gus began describing his day, seemingly unaware of Nikki's quiet demeanor. Gus, I need to talk to you seriously. Nikki said when Gus took a pause. Of course, Nikki, my boy. What's wrong? I've got to tell him. Gus is in all the right circles. He might know. Nikki thought. Nikki took a deep breath. Remember uh, a while ago? told you the story I'd overheard about the mute when I was still the cleaner at NJ's. Well, it was Jupiter's then. I told you I'd once overheard Frankie talking about the mute and her husband Wallace Samuels. You said you knew of him. Yes, Gus said with a gulp, his eyes darting and mouth twitching. I, uh, I think she was in the club last night. They both paused in silence. Did you hear if they were back? No, I heard nothing, Nikki. I not heard they are back. What happened? You didn't try to approach her, did you? It was a lot worse than that. Oh, Nikki. It's been a long time, I mean, perhaps it was someone who looked like her? But just the way she looked up at me, she stared so intently. <sighs> they say once you look in the eyes of Midori, she takes your soul. Gus replied. So the name of the mute was Midori. Could it really have been her? Nikki thought. What about the other two? Asked Gus. Did you see them, Nikki? No, no, I, I didn't see them. There was so much commotion. Last night, though, when I returned home, my cleaning lady told me of a strange visitor. Oh my goodness, Nikki. Who was it? I don't know. The, the protector? Was his name Leslie? Describe him to me. Yes, Leslie Tanner. He is unmistakable. Tall, muscular like a bull. He has a bald head with a tattoo on his cheek. Nikki took a deep inhale of breath. It was him. 
he said on his long exhale. Nikki, this is serious. It's them. So it really is them, the Triumphant? Yes, Nikki, you need to get away. Get your passport and take a trip. I don't know what to do, Nikki said, rubbing his thumbs against the inside of his fingers. Nikki, these people, they don't give up. You need to get somewhere safe, quickly. Gus warned. If you get involved with them, Chaos will find you. I just need to think. I, I need to get home. Nikki replied. Gus placed both his hands firmly over Nikki's and spoke with a soft intensity. They always correct mistakes. Remember, the protector is a savage, but il boss, lui è il diavolo. Before Nikki had time to ask the translation, Gus pulled him in close and spoke with a forceful conviction. The boss, he is the devil. On his drive home, Nikki couldn't stop his nerves going into overdrive. As he pressed the code into the security pad at the front of his apartment building, he kept checking behind him, but only saw darkness. It felt strange to be worried. Madigan Tower was an exclusive building, secure and well-lit. I've always felt safe here, he thought. Once he reached his top-floor penthouse, he paced the huge living area, from the big sliding balcony doors across to his home bar fidgeting and adjusting things for no reason. His stomach churned and rumbled. He headed to the bathroom, splashed cold water on his face, and rubbed it hard. He looked up in the mirror. A red, wet and anxiety-riddled face stared back at him. He splashed himself again and let the water streak down his torso. The cold relief helped bring calm to his body. He couldn't imagine just leaving and having no home. Surely it'll blow over if I'm careful. Nikki knew he should probably play it safe and leave for a while. Instead, he found himself climbing the wooden stairs to his loft. He had refurbished it into a secret hideaway, complete with a sofa, giant plasma screen, and a fridge full of alcohol. Nikki opened the big steel safe that adjourned the left wall. In between rolls of cash, he plucked out a big plastic bag of cocaine. He slumped into the sofa and cut up a line on the food tray with a credit card. With a big, long snort, he hovered up the powder in a flash. Unable to know what sort of situation he was in with the mysterious crime trio, Nicky locked himself away. He knew he should go and try and find out more about them. The total of what he knew was gained from an overheard conversation years ago and from Gus. Instead, he stayed in his hideaway and rekindled his relationship with Lucifer's caviar. Chapter 7, Simple Pleasures Friday, 19th June, Bobby's Apartment, Jenkins Road, Eastside, PC, 10 a.m. It was times before injecting when Bobby had her darkest thoughts. She was thinking about yesterday morning when she had wept into her dry toast, crying over Nikki. She didn't regret running away from him two evenings ago, 
but her heart ached in his absence. As much as she pined for him, she was still hurt. She had secretly wanted him to chase after her, grab her by the arms, and make love to her, like she was sure he would to the others. Instead, she had been left to feel worthless. Today, her tears had stopped, but frustration and confusion remained. She had not showered. The cut on her arm still stung, and she could not face exposing it to hot water. She placed her fingers over the light scab that had formed. It was horribly sore. She had much worse problems to deal with. Her sugar was running low. Sugar. That's what they called heroin in the old days. At the brothel. She had begun rationing a little. It helped extend the time she was free of its toxic influence, but it left her more and more time for destructive feelings. She would tentatively allow them, confront them, and seek healing. All the while she was preparing her gear, ready for when her thoughts became too painful. A journey to Eden was only a press of her thumb away. Bobby cradled a special tray on her lap. On it was a needle, spoon, her lighter in the shape of a gun, squeezy lemon, and a belt. She walked through the hanging wooden beads that separated the living area to the kitchen and filled up a cup of water from the sink. Her thoughts turned to Nikki again. Can I blame him for rejecting me? I sell my body for money. I'm just a whore. Sometimes, she felt so ashamed of what she had become, it consumed her. She winced at memories of all the things she had done to get money. Her chest tightened as she admitted to herself Nikki was just too good for her. What could have been is over now. It's too darn late. She was left with a reality that was just too painful, and her road out was paved with sugar. When she was in the blissful tranquility of its effects, when she was neither asleep nor fully awake, she would have flashes of childhood. Simple acts of innocence and kindness from the past would visit her. One memory was her mama, asking if she was bringing her favorite Teddy Snowball on holiday, so she would not be lonely. Another was when Bobby and her brother used to sit on the couch and laugh at people being silly on kids' television. Somewhere in the midst of these thoughts, she would fall asleep and have amazing lucid dreams. Nikki would enter them, only as they were when they were younger, before she had ruined her life. Returning from the sink, back to her tatty couch, she dripped water from the cup onto her spoon, watching the droplets form a tiny pool. She squeezed the lemon juice into the spoon and then added the sugar. The noise of the lighter was music to her ears as she sparkled the flame to life. She held the lighter under the spoon and watched the cocktail mix together. She loved the whole process. It was strangely innocent. Being alone, following a routine, not doing anything to anyone. It was the only part of her life that seemed simple. She craved a time before all the depravity, but knew she could never stop taking sugar. It would be impossible. The constant regret of her wasted life ate away at her like a cancer. If only I had never started. She allowed herself to reminisce that fateful decision, knowing she would be shooting up in a matter of moments anyway, and all the pain would disappear. She did something she would do every now and again, and slid her hand under the couch and retrieved her old diary. She had read her high school prom entry many, many times. Sometimes, she would recite it to herself when she was out walking around. She tried not to do it anymore, to dwell on the past. Just when I'm gonna shoot up, she thought, knowing that when her precious sugar flowed in her veins, all pain, physical and mental, would instantly evaporate. She turned straight to the infamous entry, written on tattered, 
tear-stained pages. Sunday, April 25th. I should have just started a new diary today. Everything is the same, but I know life ain't never going to be. Yesterday, the prom finally happened. All the dieting had paid off, and I thought I'd look darn pretty in my dress. It was nice of Mama to buy it for me, especially as it was low-cut, and she ain't into pretty dresses. She paid for me to get my hair done, too. Big, bouncing curls like I always wanted. The beginning was kind of awkward. I just stood over on the other side with the girls, trying to be included. After a while, we all gathered in front of the stage awaiting the announcement of prom king and queen. The crowd was darn excited. But ain't no one surprised when the golden couple won. Of course they did. Before the names were even read out, Davy and Jessica started to walk up to the stage. Darn show ponies. The whole hall was clapping as they went on stage and were crowned. I ain't gonna deny it. They looked amazing. I wish I looked as good as them. I felt as close to being like them as I ever had. I was still giddy that Sean had asked me. I knew it was too good to be true. Did he ever really like me? I don't think I'd ever been so darn nervous in my life. I couldn't believe I might get to kiss one of the coolest guys in the school at the end of the night. The very thought made my stomach turn like hell. It was so nerve-wracking thinking I might have my first kiss. Well, proper one anyway. I'm glad I had Alice there. She's a misfit like me, and I don't have to impress her. But prom ain't about friends. It's about having a boy. A boy who wants and needs me. Friends don't matter as much. It was a boy I wanted, and I had one. I just wanted to be with him, but instead I stuck close with Alice all night. All the guys stayed over on the other side of the room. Sean was with all the football guys. Alice kept urging me to go over to him, but I was just too darn nervous. I wish he'd have come over. I was only on the other side of the room. Me and Alice hung out awkwardly at the drinks table. I was too nervous to eat. We just kept looking over at the group of guys. Even the nice guys like Nikki and Justin didn't come near. The proper music began to play. The dancing was starting. This is it. I'm going to have to dance with him soon, I kept thinking. I also kept thinking, what if he doesn't come over? What if I go over there and get left on my own? It made me need to go to the bathroom. As I sat on the bowl, I was thinking about what was going to happen, and my stomach churned even more. I kept telling myself he had asked me for a reason. I was his date, and it was going to be okay. I made up my mind, and when I left the bathroom, I was going to go over and dance with him. I walked through the hall and back into the gym. As soon as I entered the room, I could see it. They were right at the far end of the room in the corner. Even from there, in the dark light and mass of moving bodies, I could see Sean kissing Melanie. I wanted to look away, but I couldn't. I had to see it. They were passionately kissing as they slow danced. How could they? I kept my eyes on them just long enough for my brain to confirm what I was seeing. Then my throat swelled up and I couldn't watch anymore. I paced to the other side of the room and faced towards the wall. I desperately tried to hold back tears. I didn't want everyone to see me cry. The humiliation would be awful. I gripped myself and just focused on the ceiling. Alice appeared next to me, trying to talk to me, but I didn't take in what she was saying. She kept asking if I was okay. I just kept looking at the ceiling. I knew if I looked at her, I would cry. Hold it together. Just hold it together, I kept telling myself. I knew I had to get out of there. I muttered something to Alice about needing some fresh air and half-jogged my way outside. 
I looked back and was relieved that Alice didn't follow me. As soon as I ran around the building and out of sight, tears poured down my cheeks. I rested against the wall, nestling my head on my forearm, and sobbed. Tears dripped into my mouth, and I remember tasting snot and salt. I cried uncontrollably, but it felt good to get it out of my system. As my tears began to stop, I regained my composure. I looked up to see Charlie standing a few feet away, staring at me. Charlie was kind of smart, but kind of scruffy. He still had his scruffy hair and wispy teenage beard. He was wearing a smart but simple suit, and he hadn't loosened his tie like most of the others. All in the same breath, he blurted out matter-of-factly that he was sick of the prom and invited me back to his house. I was taken off guard. I probably had said no more than two words to him in the whole of high school. I said yes. I didn't care who he was. I knew he probably would want to have sex with me, and I knew I would let him. I just wanted to feel desirable at least once. Once I got to his house, I quickly realized that it wasn't sex that was on his mind, but something even better. A feeling more powerful than the strongest orgasm. I probably wasn't in the house more than two minutes when it happened. I hadn't even taken my shoes off. Why his parents weren't there was a mystery, as was why I didn't ask him what it was. I don't know why I didn't just leave. Charlie had left the room while I sat frozen on the old family couch. A huge thing, patterned with garish red flowers. I sat awkward and nervous staring at my dress that didn't quite reach my knees. I was still staring at the bottom of my fancy high heels when Charlie walked in the living room carrying a plastic bag. He took a syringe out of it, along with an old brown belt, and sat himself next to me, still not saying a word. I felt queasy and nervous, with no idea what he was doing. He then turned and spoke to me. If you want some, I'll have to do you first. Yeah, I muttered. What in the blue hell was I doing? At the time, though, it was too late. That thought never reached my lips. Charlie tied a belt around my arm and stabbed a needle through my skin and injected me. I knew what it was. What else could it be? I felt the ecstasy of heroin for the first time. I just wanted some excitement, some relief from the pain in my heart. I got all that and much more. God, how much more. I would meet my first love that night after all. I know I shouldn't, but I already knew I was going back to Charlie's today. Bobby reclined on her couch, the morning sunshine forming bright vertical lines of light emanating from the edges of her window not covered by hanging black cloth. As she reflected on the night that had ruined her life, the regret was as strong as ever. She had been left with a need for sugar just as great as the air to breathe, or food to eat. She remembered every second of the routine Charlie went through that night. She always did it exactly the same way, even tapping the needle the same way he did. She sat up on her couch and took her needle off the tray and sucked up a syringe full of the mixture. She tightened the belt around her arm. Although she was worryingly running out of veins, she found one in her bicep and stuck the needle in deep. She eagerly plunged liquid ecstasy into her body. The usual wave of nausea hit. Then her body was set alight with a warm glow. She felt the first rush of true abandoned pleasure. It was simply glorious. It wasn't quite like the first time though. It never was. She kept chasing it, but she would never fly quite as high. Bobby sank deeper into the couch as a warm, lethargic fog cocooned her. She forgot all her pain and stress, 
all worry over Nikki disappeared. The idea of him being too good for a weird junkie like her melted away with the rest of her insecurities. When tomorrow came, she would need some more. She would be up at the park to see Russ before most people were even up. Chapter 8, Home Movies Saturday, 20th June, Scotty's House, Rosemere Gardens, South Bank, PC, 10.20pm Scotty Gethin stood in front of his bedroom mirror wearing women's underwear. It was the first time he had felt any release in tension that week. He looked up at his body. He still had a good degree of muscle mass from his youth, but now it was covered with a layer of fat. His purple bra was tight to his skin, and he rubbed his soft pectorals over the see-through satin and lace. He traced his fingers over the detailing, moving his hands down and caressing the satin quarter cup with his palm. Slowly, he left his chest behind and slid his hands down his sides. Sliding his fingers underneath his panties, he pulled the purple material from his skin and let it snap back against his hips. After a few more moments looking at himself, He put on his patchwork jeans and long-sleeved claret top. Private time was over. For fleeting moments, it helped him to relax. Now there were more important things to do. A preoccupation wouldn't leave him, and it was tormenting his soul. Downstairs, sitting alone in dim light, Scotty brooded. He had not opened the curtains in days, or even turned on his TV. Deeply house-proud, his house was normally immaculate. Not now. He picked up his mobile phone from among empty sandwich packets. On it was a video he had already watched five times that day. Now, he knew he would watch it yet again. Every time he watched it, he had wept. His wells of tears had become emptier and emptier, gradually reaching the bottom where only rage remained. He played the video, keeping it on mute. Just the images were enough for now. The picture was crystal clear. His dear Thomas crouched against a bathroom cubicle wall. His left hand and face were pressed hard against the door, as if an invisible force was trying to pull him through it. His other hand held his phone at arm's length. Thomas's face looked twice his age of 24. It was red, puffy, and in a wide-mouthed grimace of silent screams. He writhed around, his body mirroring the turmoil that was his mind. Scotty had never seen him looking anywhere close to that state before. Oh, precious Thomas, what were you thinking? Thomas held the phone close to his face. Looking right down the lens, he said his final words before dropping the phone. Only a portion of Thomas's back was now visible as the camera continued filming at an upward angle. Scotty's eyes strained to try and make out what was happening. Part of Thomas's right shoulder was moving violently for about 30 seconds until his upper torso flopped to the floor and out of view. Scotty rewound the video and turned off the mute feature. He rewound it to where his lover was holding the phone camera close to his pained face. I'm sorry, Scotty. I love you. Scotty thought about all the nights when Thomas stayed at his house. The only time he would let himself go. They would hold each other's naked bodies, dripping in sweat after making love for hours, and whisper their love to each other before falling asleep. Scotty set his phone back down exactly where it was on the table. Just like last night, 
He went into the hall and put on his thick metal choker necklace. He took a black coat and purple hat from his wooden stand and put them on. He paused and looked in a long mirror with gritted teeth and clenched fists. He prayed this would be the night he would find them. He knew he was on a road to hell, but couldn't turn back. He left the house yet again with a heavy heart and vengeful intentions. Chapter 9, Man on the Balcony. Later that night, Nikki's Penthouse, Madigan Tower, East Side PC, 2 a.m. Nikki could only guess at the time. Some early hour of the morning, he presumed. He was glued to his balcony railings, waves of hunger pulsating through his abdomen. He last ate two days ago, on Thursday evening. He remembered that night vividly, forcing down a ham sandwich, desperately trying to hold it together. It wasn't long after that he became incapable of eating, or being calm at all. All the NJ's owner had done for the last two days was ride the highs and lows of a cocaine roller coaster. His time had largely been eaten away, traveling from his hidden room to the bathroom. His body had kept flushing with heat, and he repeated the calming ritual of standing by the bathroom sink, scooping water onto his face and chest. Endless TV and treadmill runs were all that separated his trips to the bathroom. Any idea that he would return to his normal routine had evaporated. Sleep had been a rarity, too. The only constant in the past two days had been cocaine. He had finally stopped this evening, his final comedown, a horrendous crumbling of body and mind. His thoughts now swirled in despair, and his body trembled. He was convinced the protector was coming to the penthouse for him. For the last few hours... He had been unable to resist standing on his balcony, clutching the railings, unkempt, unclean, and paranoid. A compulsion to look out for the protector wouldn't leave him. High up as he was, he could make out basic characteristics of the figures below. He had quickly made distinctions, as his eyes had darted to every person that had walked by, man or woman, big or small. It seemed like hours since Nikki had last seen anyone. The eeriness of the night wouldn't have been complete without the harsh cold. Goosebumps covered his arms and his muscles seized. His eyes, already heavy like rocks, were pushed to the breaking point. He was close to giving up. Finally, another figure appeared walking down the road. Definitely a man. A striking sphere of purple framed most of his body. Heading in the opposite direction was another man, staggering as he walked. Nicky was sure neither of them was the man he was looking out for. He pulled himself away from the railings and stepped away from the edge. This is pointless. The protector would have to get through security, and the penthouse doors were not only heavy, but locked. He had checked them a hundred times. Nicky would only relax for a moment before he would second-guess himself, and his mind would wander out of control again. 
He couldn't stop his anxiety while it was dark and yearned for daylight. He wanted tomorrow to come so badly. If only I could sleep. He stumbled back through the sliding doors and lay on the couch, his body stiff and racked with pain. He grabbed a pillow and held it close, an echo from childhood when he'd slept with a teddy close to his chest. He stayed perfectly still and waited for sleep to find him. Nikki awoke suddenly. He rubbed the sleep from his eyes and wiped the drool from his mouth. The bright morning daylight shone through the skylights and huge windows bouncing off the white walls. The warm, bright atmosphere instantly made him feel better. No doubt his night's sleep had done him wonders too. Surprisingly, his head no longer throbbed and his nausea was gone. Many of Nikki's declarations were made in the first few minutes of a new day. And today he decided he was going to stop this madness with the cocaine and pull himself together. He had a strong desire to go outside, take in some fresh air, and prove to himself nothing bad was going to happen. His stomach growled at him like a bad-tempered dog, so he decided to go out and get some food. Twenty minutes later, he was walking back to the apartment building with a shopping bag in his hand. There wasn't another soul around, and he finally started to feel more relaxed and began to accept the situation with more equanimity. There was no point in worrying any longer. The time had come to do what he could do to protect himself and get on with his life. He stepped back into his penthouse, rejuvenated. Orange juice burst out of the carton, and apples bounced across the floor as Nicky's shopping bag dropped out of his hand. He now stared in shock at the man standing in his hallway. He was tall, easily over six feet, and muscular. His fierce look was punctuated with a solid bald head. Inked on the side of his face was a large tribal tattoo. His white, round-necked, long-sleeved shirt and black bomber jacket looked like they could barely contain his primitive frame. His face was red, and his large jugular vein bulged. He looked ready to fight, and yet he had a calm, cold look in his eyes. Nikki didn't know why he didn't just bolt out the door. Everything seemed to be happening so fast and his arms and legs hung from him like dead weights. He just turned to the man he presumed was Leslie Tanner with his arms up, preparing to tussle, protect himself, strike out. He didn't know. The man didn't go to grapple. Instead, he sent a clinical and thunderous blow to Nicky's face. Nicky, his ears ringing, instinctively hunched himself over and kept his head down and put his hands up. He didn't see the next punch. A burst of pain erupted on the side of his temple, and then everything went black. Chapter 10. Home Truths As Nicky came around, he had a vague feeling of time having elapsed. His body was surprisingly alert, but he was bound tightly to a chair with plastic ties. They cut deep into his wrists and ankles, and duct tape squeezed his chest as it pinned him absolutely to the chair. Blood pumped furiously around his body as his nervous system surged. In contrast, the intruder cut a calm figure, standing at the bar with his back to the nightclub king, pouring himself a glass of vodka. Are you Leslie? Nikki heard himself asking, already knowing the answer. Yes, I am. Why are you doing this? I, I haven't done anything! Nikki shouted. Have you not? Leslie snapped back. I, I don't even know her! Nikki pleaded. It was just an accident. You don't have to do this. Leslie spun around, grabbed a knife from the counter, walked calmly across the room, and pointed the blade at Nikki. Are you going to kill me? Nikki asked. 
Leslie pressed cold steel against his captive's throat. I'm not going to kill you, but I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to disfigure you. He released the knife and pulled a chair opposite. Placing the knife on the floor, he then took a seat resting his palms on his thighs. They locked stares on each other. You don't have to do this. I won't say anything. I'll never cause you any trouble. Nikki said. You fuck with Midori, then you're going to have to pay for it. Leslie paused, curling and uncurling his fists. You're going to be a living, breathing warning. A warning to who? Nikki asked. Who the hell is she? She's, she's just a girl. Leslie paced over to Nikki, grabbed his mouth, and squeezed it hard. Don't speak about her. What the hell does this woman have over everyone? Nikki thought. I don't understand any of this. The protector walked backwards and returned to his chair, reigniting their stare-off. You're lucky Mr. Samuels has other things on his mind. We haven't got time for the torture he normally likes to inflict. Today is the day we are taking back the city. Leslie said, scrunching up his face. You're lucky. Today he will be satisfied by a minor body part. Nikki immediately thought of his hands being cut off. Then, his mind raced to even worse scenarios. That could mean anything. I, I haven't done anything to Samuels. I, I didn't know she was his wife. I don't even know who he is. Leslie looked at his hands. Both little fingers from the knuckle had been taken from him. Someone you don't fuck with. Please. Nikki pleaded. It's got nothing to do with me. I've just taken over the club. There's nothing more nauseating than cocky little upstarts like you. You're not tough. You don't know the first thing about fighting. I never said I- I know all about you. I've heard about you strutting around the club, playing the tough guy with your drinks and your women. I've seen you with my own eyes, acting like the big man. It made me so sick, I thought I was going to have to go into your cigar room and throw up. You have no honor. You need some beating into you. Please. Look, Leslie, I'm... I'm sorry. I don't know who she is. I was... I was given the club and... This is our club. We made it. And this is how we are treated? You stepped into this world and you are a fake and a phony. He's right. Nikki knew he'd been acting tough, and he wasn't. He had been acting flash, and he wasn't. His lust for power wasn't as great as he had convinced himself it was. I don't want to be like these fucking people. He realized there was always going to be someone more violent than him, and always someone more violent than them. He searched his heart for answers. Is that something I want to turn into? Someone like Leslie? Is that what I want to be measured against as a man, this deluded thug? I'll leave the club... You will never see me again, Nikki said. It's too late for that, Leslie said. Please, I, 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 I don't deserve... Shut the fuck up. Stop bitching, you fucking pussy. Nikki realized other truths. I'm stronger than I think I am. I'm not gonna lie down and, and take things like when I was younger. What is there to be afraid of anymore? If I'm going down, I'm going down swinging. He flexed his arms, but the ties didn't move a millimeter. He desperately wanted to fight back. He tried again, but his limbs were so hopelessly attached to the chair. 
He couldn't physically retaliate, so abuse just started spilling out of his mouth. It flowed without control or thought. Just fuck off! Shut up! You know I didn't mean to do it, and nobody cares about her. Nobody cares about you and how tough you are. Can't you see you're just a stupid prick that no girl would be caught dead with? Leslie picked the knife up off the floor and stood menacingly over Nikki, veins bulging in his arms and neck. Nikki's fear and anger became one. It's time for me to meet my fate. If you're gonna do something, just fucking do it! Leslie gritted his teeth and his forearms shook. The violent savage was forcing a rage to bubble up inside himself. Nikki tensed his whole body, squirming in his restraints. Leslie sprang towards Nikki and grabbed his hair with his left hand. With his right, he began gouging at Nikki's eye with his blade. Nikki felt a sick agony he had never felt before, as if someone were drilling into his skull. All he could see with his other eye was the creases in Leslie's thick hand weaving maniacally and the glint of the shiny blade. Nikki howled as he felt the blade behind his eyeball. Leslie's forearm tensed to the resistance until it gave way. Nikki's eye popped out of his head. He felt relief as the pain momentarily stopped. His body shook with the shock of extraction of one of its parts. Nikki wanted desperately to hold his face. His biceps and forearms contracted frantically, trying to break free and give solace to his mutilated face. He felt a warm sensation trickle down his cheek. Drops of a brown-colored liquid splattered on the floor by his feet. With his now distorted vision, Nikki watched Leslie pick up the extracted eyeball that had rolled across the room. The protector stood in complete calmness as he flicked the eyeball in the air and caught it like a tennis ball.